On deck for this episode, disasters, food, and homesteading. Hey, this is episode 766 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Hey, are you looking to up your preparedness knowledge? Don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the Pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The Buy Me a Coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. Hey everyone, and thanks for hanging out with me on another episode. On this one, I have my good friends Mick and Brian along. We are going to talk about... Uh, disasters, what's been going on, things that we're paying attention to. We're going to be talking about food because food shortages and all the things that we keep hearing about and maybe what we're doing. We're, we're going to share a little bit about that. And then we're going to talk about homesteading and uh, how you can do that wherever you are. So I won't do a long intro. I'm going to jump right into it because this can, this is going to be a long episode. So here we are with Mick Rowland and Brian Hawkins and little old me talking about preparedness. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another Ready Your Future podcast. I'm here with my good friends, Mick Rowland, who is a author, blogger. Now he's a podcaster. He's putting his books uh, online for people to uh, listen to you're doing a great job over there. You can find him at mick-roland.com or mick-roland.com. And uh, also with Brian Hawkins, who runs nextstepsurvival.com. He's also, he's a blogger, YouTuber, doing a lot of great stuff out there in the preparedness community. And so uh, we've been, we've been doing this for a while. We haven't done it in a while. It's been, you know, uh, a little bit, but we've, we've done several of these and I really enjoy them. So I'm glad that we're going to be able to uh, be able to connect on this one. We're talking about disaster, uh, food and homesteading. And so before we jump into that, I wanted to just ask uh, Mick and and Brian, what are you guys up to? I'll I'll start with you, Mick. What what have you been up to since our last episode? Uh, Well, like you said, continuing to uh, do podcasts of the audio books and getting those online. I committed to doing one a week, so that's kind of been keeping me busy between the uh, recording and the editing. And more recently, I've been uh, having all my time consumed with processing a half a pig, trying to get it cut up and in the freezer or salted for bacons and hams. So finally passed all that. So yay. A half a pig. Was that a, a lot of meat for you? I mean, I guess it's, you know, relative to the size of the pig. But uh, right. what did yeah, you come up was, with? It was a pretty much market weight pig when he had processed it. I think it would have been half a pig was 125 pounds before we were cutting it up. And you know, there's a lot. That's a lot, man. All right. And, uh, there's a lot of fat on a pig. I ended up with, uh, what was it, seven or eight pints of lard after I got done rendering it down. So tried to uh, use everything. I let the pastor have the feet. I didn't want the feet. 
that that's awesome so when we get to the food part of this uh i i want you to if you'll talk a little bit more about that and then just you know all was involved and and how you i mean you said your pastor and so i know the story but if you could share it with the the rest of the listeners um, the viewers i think that would be great sure all right so brian what, what have you been up to since uh since we last uh did a podcast yeah it's been a little bit um I live in uh, Michigan here, so I had a lot of outside stuff of trying to get the wrap-up guard and the, and the shrubs and the perennials and all that kind of stuff and trying to get it ready for, for the, the cold winter if we have that, you know, global warming and all that stuff. But the, uh, I got into uh, freeze-drying, so that's keeping me pretty busy, trying to keep that going as often as possible. I can usually get like three cycles a week. On that. So it's like a, a new or or a new branch or something so it's it's starting to look good i do a lot of it in quart jars just just for the looks of it but mostly in my bags and, um and i moved into a new office here so i'm moved I'm, i've got three bedrooms and i'm just doing all little at a time and moving my pantry into its own separate space and my office into another space and as you can see it's the typical office for like an executive where they keep all their gear and stuff. So but all of that's been pretty busy though for, for quite a while. All right. Well, I think too, again, when we get to the food part, if you'll talk a little bit about that freeze drying, I think people will want to know a little bit more about it and the, the process and, and what all goes into it. Even if you think it's worth it or not. Sure. All right. So as we get into this, um, this topic, right? Disaster food and, and, and homesteading. There's a lot of craziness in the world right now. You know, it's like you almost can't keep up with it. And so everybody has their things that they're looking at. I thought I would just kind of ask, you know, we could all kind of talk a little bit about what things are you paying attention to and, and why as you go about your life and, you know, the, the world's always ending. I always say that, you're right. The world is always ending. I remember that one uh, line from Men in Black. Um, and so in the preparedness community, we always see it's like one thing after another. And when nothing comes about, like the next the next thing is, is you know, we get mad at the media for doing that. But the preparedness community does that too, right? Is there's always the next big event, the next big disaster coming. So uh, with that said, I just I want to give us a little bit of time to talk about what are we paying attention to, what what things are interesting to you, and why. And uh, Mick, I'll just kick it to you and let you take it from here. Well, I guess, uh, like you say, after the the last disaster that didn't happen, I mean, we were supposed to have run out of food last fall, I think, weren't we? Uh, yeah, and that kind of didn't happen. Uh, I'm all happy for that, but uh, it didn't happen. Uh, so what I have been keeping my eye on, though, is the uh, the potential rollout of digital currency and all of the uh, Big Brother controls that come along with that. That, you know, it's always going to be for our own good, and it'll be so that the terrorists and the drug cartels don't have money. I mean, there's always a good reason, but it still will amount to putting all of our money in someone else's pocket and then asking them pretty please if we can have some. You know, what could possibly go wrong there? So I've been kind of keeping an eye on that, the digital things. The uh, There were a few posts on that even just this morning, I think, on the exclusive email group. 
talking about once there's digital currency, then they can just decline you for whatever reason and the rules will change. And uh, so that, yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on that a little bit with the idea of being not, uh, not as exposed financially as I can be. Uh, not necessarily uh, to the point of hoarding silver and gold, because that's been debated on the uh, email group as well, but trying not to be uh, totally dependent on banking. So a lot of that's just preparedness. If you've got your food, you got your water, you got your other supplies, hammers, as Jeff would say, uh, that then if they uh, need to shut down the monetary supply for a couple of months in order to turn it into digi bucks or whatever it's going to be ah, i won't be uh i won't be hamstrung so that's what i've been keeping an eye on you know that that's interesting um i was talking to one of my coworkers, and we we're talking about um i guess a, a new place in houston that i i didn't realize was there i kind of live in my own you know in the suburbs and kind of stay out but she was you know in talking about what you could do there uh, it was just kind of like a venue and you can go and, and look around and they had food and all that kind of stuff. Everything that you bought had to be, they didn't take cash and they didn't take credit cards. It all had to be like on your phone. And she was a little bit more old school. So she was like, you know, I had to learn how to do that. There was a little bit of a learning curve, but once I learned you, you know, it was like, we were okay. And, you know, a lot of people don't look at it as that scary piece you know, um, using your phone for, you know, to pay Apple pay, Google pay, whatever pay is out there. Um, the digital, the digital currency that that's there. So, um, it's, it's, it seems like it's coming faster and faster. Just people don't realize it. Um, unless you are one of us, you know, quote unquote conspiracy theorists or people that are always watching out there, what, what's happening. So uh, interesting, a lot of, lot of things out there. Brian, what about you? Let's kick it to you. Well, I, I just um, started a blog post that I need to finish about getting off of PayPal and uh, why you should or why I did. And um, one, of the, one of those, one of the three reasons that I chose to, to get, and, and by the way, I've been on there since, I don't know, like for a very long time, probably soon after PayPal started and all these automatic payments, you know, going to Netflix and the hosting and all, it was, it was difficult to find options because not everybody has other solutions. If you're trying to avoid putting your credit card number, in, you know, into their system so it can later get hacked and all that. So it was a little bit of a process, but one of the, one of the three reasons was this new, and I believe it's part of the Biden administration, but where they have, any anything over six hundred dollars in a in a in a year um, has to be reported as income. So, if I give you, you know, if I send you six hundred dollars for you know to pay my part of our whatever you know our land contract or wh whatever we got going, the um, anything over that six hundred has to be reported, not just by us but by the financial institutions themselves, right? So I think it's, I didn't get rid of PayPal because I think that it's another option. So up to $600 per person for that. And then, and then, you know, the other ones, you know, all the, the other things that, you know, the, I don't have Facebook anymore, but the Facebook can use and 
and all of those others. And I think that's just one way to try to stay under the wire, the un, under the um, radar. But the the threshold is dropped so low, and that's just another way that um, I think they're coming at us as far as the you know the hundred percent taxes with the digital uh, dollar or whatever it's going to be called coming at us so that you can't spend a dime without you know paying your fair share of taxes so that's that's pretty much uh what i was talking about on that that post you know one of the uh the things that i've been thinking about because a lot of people in the email group were, were you know didn't want to use paypal and people were canceling the i mean they weren't canceling the email group but they were canceling future payments in paypal so I did move over to Stripe, which is, you know, you can just use your, your credit card and, and you're good there. But I remember back in the day when I was listening to Dave Ramsey and, uh, you know, trying to get out of debt and, you, you know, all that stuff. And really, you know, you only have to listen to Dave Ramsey for one month because it's all the same after that. It's all the you know same, you know, get rid of your new car and, and pay down debt and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, they talked about having, you know, the debit cards and, and even if you needed a credit card, something like with a visa on it or whatever, that you can get one of those reloadable gift cards. And I wonder how that will play out in the future. You know, people who have get like right now, I have a couple of gift cards with the visa logo on there that has money on there. Not a lot, but, you know, $25, $30 things that people have given me and you can reload those. If you if you registered or whatever, you can reload those and use those. And so it's not really tied to your bank account if it gets hacked, but you can use it like a regular Visa card. So something maybe that uh, that's a blog post for you, Brian, that you can uh, you can write there in the future uh, or maybe add it to your PayPal as an as an option. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> so um, some of the things that I'm I was looking at, I went to the grocery store this morning. And I noticed that gas in the, the, where I, I normally get gas was $2.49. And that was a 10 cents drop from just, I think, Thursday when I filled up or Wednesday when I filled up. So three days ago. And um, that's pretty crazy how fast that is going down. And uh, I know that I've seen it on, online. I don't know exactly where, but they're talking about, you know, gas is now lower than it was a year ago in, in a lot of different places. The question is why? I mean, people are going to say, well, you know, the economy is good and the economy is better. Is it, is it that or is it because people aren't driving, you know, as much anymore or because people are, it hurts to drive, it hurts to put that money in or they're, they're having that financial crunch. So uh, that's one of those things to kind of pay attention, although employment numbers are good and, you know, you're hearing the inflation is not that bad, but I, 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 I don't know. I got to the point where I don't trust all that stuff. Um, I haven't trusted it for a while, but uh, that, that's one of those things is like, yeah, whatever. Uh, that's just propaganda. I think I'll talk. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'll talk about that here in just a second. Um, the other thing that I'm really paying attention to is just an uptick in crime. So I live in Houston, you know, one of the third largest cities in, in Texas. And I, I believe it's the third largest, maybe it's the second largest now. Um, just a lot of people and sort of places that are where um, that, that I'm familiar with, where there's a lot of crime going on and even it reaches out into the suburbs. And so sometimes uh, in the past, it would be like things happen in the city, you know, and those types of things. But I think we're hearing about it a little bit more. So just 
paying attention to it. I know that we've shared that even in our uh, there our online meetup with the email group um, and talked about actually no. So I'm confusing the email group and then uh, Bible study, I think. So the Bible study, we talked about that, um, just about crime and, and what we're seeing. And I know that in the past, people would say, well, you're just hearing more you have more avenues to hear about it. You have social media, you have all these different ways that you can hear about it. In the past, it would just be the 10 o'clock news. And uh, well, that is just, that's not true, right? I mean, there is a, an uptick in crime. And if people were really paying attention, um, maybe not in your area, but I know that in, in my area, that's something that I'm paying attention to. Another thing that's been pretty big, it was in the news for a while is um, the water in Houston was shut down. There was a, uh, there was a water treatment plant in the, in South Houston that kind of affected all of Houston. And so they lost power and pressure went down too low to where the, um, the water that was coming out, they, they weren't able to uh, okay it and say that that was, it was safe to drink. That went on for about three or four days. It turned out that it was safe to drink and there really wasn't a big problem, but people were panicked. And the thing is, we always talk about this. Was that enough to get people? I mean, people, you know, schools were closed down. People were, were probably not going to work, not taking showers and different, all that kind of stuff. Boiling water, even the boiling water, they were, they were said not, not to do that there for a little while. Um, grocery stores were running out of water. So what do you, you know, is that going to be enough to get people to say, hey, I need to store some water here at home? I doubt it, right? Because it's just like a, a little blip to them and like they got over it and things were fixed. So not only that, but the infrastructure, not only here in, in Houston or Texas, but in the, all the United States. That's one of my concerns. Uh, recently in the news, we've heard about electrical plants being targeted and being shot at. And uh, so that's it. And then so it was one big one that we were hearing about. And then as people started digging into it, they're hearing more. I mean, it's like it's, it's happening on a regular basis. You're just not hearing about it. So that's kind of concerning to me, um, makes me want to make sure that I have whatever I need to be able to, to power what I need to do to, to, to get through. You know, I don't want to lose all the meat in my freezer. You know, I'm sure Mick doesn't want to lose all the. The, the pig, the half of the pig that he just got through processing, right? Um, and so that's one of those things that is, is uh, important to me. And I've been, I've been looking at prices, going to the grocery store again. I mean, I just fresh, you know, a couple of hours ago, going to the grocery store and um, paying, you know, bukus of money for just a little bit of groceries. And I'm sure people are feeling that I I'm blessed to where I, I can handle that, the uptick in, in prices, but there's a lot of people that can't. And so you, you feel for those people and you just wonder where it goes, you know, how much, how much more it goes up and what that does to everyone that's out there, that the people that are living paycheck to paycheck. And then I said that I, I would kind of mention this is just the trust in leaders. We were, uh, I was having a conversation with another uh, like a coworker, and that kind of came up. It's like I, it's hard to trust the media. It's hard to trust politicians. It's hard to trust the people that are in in leadership that are giving you information. What do you when you get to that point where you're not trusting people? What does that do for society? And what does that do for everyone? You know. And so that is just uh, just works on the psyche of everyone. 
and you get to the point where you just, you start turning in and and you don't want to believe in anybody or anything that's going on out there. I think that's a pretty sad place to be in. So um, the state of things, guys, did that trigger anything for y'all? Was there anything that kind of came up as I was talking or Mick, anything after Brian was sharing? Uh, well, actually, I was going to ask you um, about the uptick in crime. What kind of crime are you hearing more of? There, there's like people shooting, like people like guns and, and stuff like that, uh, th- that kind of thing. Um, you know, people breaking in and but the 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 gun violence you know um hearing a lot more of people getting upset and people taking out guns and and shooting each other those different kinds of things that you hear about um, one of the things that i know i shared this in the email group was the the new app or it was new to me ground.news um brian i think you you got into that one as well is uh so you can i look at it more as on the international level but I also have a local feed and I can see what's happening, you know, in the Houston area. And it's, it's, uh, they give you all the different, you know, big news outlets, whether it's, it's, uh, like the television stations or the, the newspapers, or, you know, even the small local newspapers, they will uh, link into them. And, um, you just see a lot of, uh, crime like that, you know, gun violence and, and domestic violence and, people just like losing their mind type stuff that you normally wouldn't hear. So I guess the question is after you've heard what kind of crime there is, what do you, what, how do you plan for it? What do you do? Well, of course, I mean, situational awareness is one of those big things for me. Um, it's been, a, it's been a while where I don't let my wife go out at night, you know, anymore. Um, it's either I'm sending one of my kids who are like, they're bigger than me, like you know, Amazon, you know, they, they eat all a bunch of GMO food, I guess. Um, and so they go out. And so at least someone is, is with her. Uh, and then if they don't go, I go, or she doesn't wind up going, uh, keeping your head on, you know, we talk about that on the swivel all the time and just making sure you're, you're out there. A lot of the things happen at night, you know, I mean, not all of it, but some of it, um, and so just being careful, you can't stop living life, you know, but uh, being careful about what's going on out there. I had, I had a, I wanted to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned uh, in the last segment there, Todd. Uh, so with, with the, um, with the water situation, yours turned out to, if you can, if you can believe them, that it, it may have been a um, false alarm. The problem, we just had that here in Michigan a couple of years ago with the Flint, Flint, Michigan, you know, with the lead in the water. We don't know how long that went before anybody was even notified. In fact, it, they were intentionally hiding it for at least months, probably years. But so that kind of falls in with the whole, you know, both the trust in our leadership and, and uh, the the water water supply issues. So. I think, I think as soon as somebody can, I don't know if what what will get lead out of water, but you know some of the other things, maybe maybe start using filtered water in your own home on a regular basis, and then prep on the on whatever filters. I know that there's some controversy right now with the Berkey and 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 some of the testing and stuff, and I know it's very expensive, but I forgot 
I think it was Hydro Blue that I ended up buying a couple of those um, on your recommendation. Uh, maybe you want to put a link or something in in, in the notes for that. Uh, you can actually use five gallon pails for for a, a, a Berkey type setup. So I thought that yeah, was. Yeah, I good. bought that kit too. Yeah, I bought you know, about two of them, and then and and also uh, like that little Hydro Blue water bottle, and I think maybe something else, but yeah. So I just thought I'd throw that in because, but by the time we hear about that in the news, it we we may have been drinking that for months, you know, or even longer. So I thought I'd just bring that up. Yeah, no, I mean you're right on that. Um, the the city officials, whatever the kind of county officials, don't want to uh, scare everyone and cause panic, you know, because they know they know what people will wind up doing. Uh, we were very lucky because we don't we don't have city water. We we're in a in a mud district, and so we were our water was safe. It was funny because uh, the the mud district has a they don't have a very up to date website, but I'm sure they got hit so much that eventually they were like, "Our water is safe. Your water is safe to drink. You know, you don't have to call. Uh, we're good. Don't call the emergency line or whatever." So uh, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's what people want to know that they're drinking safe water. And so that's one of those things that uh, it's, it's, it's a good investment in, in there. Right. So, all right. Well, we, we can jump from water to food. You know, another important thing, Mick made the mention of so many people were talking about that, you know, come fall, come winter, that we were going to be. Uh, crazy, you know, starving and, you know, all the different things that, that we're hearing out there. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about food concerns and then food production and what we're doing and uh, kind of go from there. So Brian, do you want to kick us off here? Where, where are you at with all that? Okay. So my, my, my pantry, I feel pretty good about that between for my wife and I, I have or is it my wife and me? I'm not good. I'm just a blogger. But the um, we we can go far beyond a year at this point for just the two of us. The problem is, if something happens, we're going to have a, all of our family in the area. You know, they all know what we do here, so they're all going to be at our doorstep. And I'm not the guy that's going to be standing there pointing a gun at my own family. I think this is ridiculous. So, you know, but um. That event, depending on the, the situation, that can run out pretty quick, especially if you're prepping for two people and you got 15 or 20 in your house. You know, depend on, like I said, depend on how bad the situation is. The gardening, in, in my experience, everybody talks about the gardening, and I think that's very important, but it's also important what you garden. So what I, what I have in my garden most summers wouldn't, sustain anybody for any time at all it's you know peppers and tomatoes and lettuce and cucumbers you're not going to live off of that it's a nice supplement you know and it's nice to have some healthy food and and to be able to store some of your own food and stuff but it's it's really not a survival garden in my in my case i don't even know how you do a survival garden um so i i like what mick's doing with the chickens I live in an area where I'm on I'm on a little quarter acre lot out, you know, on a on a gravel road outside of town. But I'm two houses from the boundary where I'm allowed to be considered agricultural. 
and, and, and have livestock and they consider one chicken livestock. I'm not even supposed to have the bees that I have. That's not even allowed. So I would need a privacy fence. Although somebody said they seen a drone. They thought that might have been the uh, township, but you know, I, I, I think I needed a privacy fence and some chickens. I think, I think the meat source and the egg source, you know, it's like, uh, you get both. If you can handle doing the chicken, I don't, I'm going to have to stop, go to buy mix and see if I actually have it in me to do whatever it is you need to do to a chicken to make it go into a bucket and a fried chicken bucket and eat. I don't know if I, if I can do that, but you know, <laughs> but the eggs are good. And I, on perennials were, I'm, I'm this next year or coming up in 2023, I'm going to focus harder on perennials and fruit trees than I will on my garden. It, it takes sometimes years to, for those to establish, but I think, I think that's, uh, I think that's very important right now. And, and, and you can do a lot of that on even your front yard. So I'm like thinking I, I have these dogwood bushes and these, I don't know, thousand dollar plants that's, lining my house i'm i'm going to dig all that up and replace that with whatever um berries and shrubs and type of stuff that with edibles that i can get and and they look good and why not uh have have a uh resource i just want one more thing I have the jerusalem artichokes lining my garden for like eight feet i'm amazed at how little actually they don't need any maintenance at all at least where i'm at and I want to put those up along my outside fence, uh, inside, just so when I get the uh, privacy fence. But those are uh, those are always there under the ground. I'm assuming. Now we did try a couple of them, and they're not that great. But we could, we can spice those up and eat those pretty, you know, without gagging. So survival food. So what did you think the they ground. tasted like? I don't know. It kind of tasted to me. It tasted like a. Almost, it almost seemed like it had an acorny, not acorn, nutty. Um, yeah, nutty, a, a, a nutty, and with the texture of like a, a uncooked tomato. I mean, not tomato, potato. Mm. And uh, I don't know how if, if we were doing it right, but I threw mine in a pot of boiling water, and and just like softened it up and stuff. But I never really looked at how you cook them. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's, apparently it's, it's important when you pull them out of the ground too. So I guess the best part is in the fall when they're dying down <clears throat> and that's when the, uh, they start putting the energy into the thing, into the, mm. what is that? It's not a root. It's a, um, a tuber tuber. So, but yeah, I'm, I, I, I pulled one up, one of the end ones because they start moving out wide i was just trying to keep one row and next thing i know that you know, six or eight inch row went to about two and a half feet on both sides of the of the fence so i'm trying to get it to where it's quit spreading and i was amazed at how many there are in there it's just an endless supply it's like wow this is a treasure trove if you if, if you're really hungry yeah you get this food under there that's a nice feeling well that's that's uh yeah, I, I've always heard about the Jerusalem artichokes. I'm sure there's plenty of recipes out there. That's something that uh, we look forward to hearing more about.
Brian. But they also they also look good and they get really tall. So they're like, oh, maybe not eight foot tall, but maybe like, well, maybe eight foot tall. They're way over my head. And then they get these little flowers on top. So that's why I'm thinking they wouldn't be that horrible out in the front yard along the, you know, along the uh, perimeter or something. They do die off in the wintertime and, and I chop mine down to nothing. But um, so it wouldn't be like a permanent, like, you know, uh, fence or anything like that. But they don't look bad. They, they look every bit as good as my uh, dogwood, which is about the same heights. There you go. Older, you know. You can can replace that dogwood with uh, a couple of apples or a couple of pears and actually get something other than just flowers. Right. Yeah. I mean, you'd still get the flowers, but you'd get something else. Right. They look just as good, but you can, you have another resource available to you. So I think that's just smart. So how long have you lived in the, in your current home? Uh, 15 years, I think now. So like you, if, I mean, I'm, you, you think about like, you start kicking yourself, right? Like, Hey, I could have planted these trees, you know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and I'd be getting all different kinds of fruit right now. That's, right. that's the thing. Pears about and apples and all of that stuff in the, in the blueberries that I just did last year would already be all established. I did strawberry patch two years ago and i'm still waiting for those to mature enough i've got grapes same same thing but i've got blackberries and raspberries from four years ago and now my big thing right now is keeping them holding them back from taking over my whole backyard so (laughs) it really makes a difference and i've got some things take years too like asparagus i've got a my asparagus after like, I think this is the fourth year for my asparagus and I have yet to harvest a whole bunch out of it because well, out of laziness, but it's, it's getting huge. And I'm, now I want more of those. I want like a whole bed of those because it takes several years for it to establish. But once it does it, you don't have to, it keeps coming back even in these harsh cold winters. So far, everything's keeps coming back without having to go back to the, uh, to the store and, and, and buying seed or, or, or starts or whatever. Sounds good. Mick, let's kick it to you. What do you, what do you have with the food concerns or production? Well, as you know, I, uh, I've gotten into gardening quite a bit. Uh, it's not like I've got a hundred acres of garden, so I'm not going to be uh, self-sufficient kind of like Brian said, you're not just going to be able to live off that garden. Um, uh, it's not that big of an operation, but I kind of got a little more serious about it. Uh, oh, I don't know, like 20 years ago, my wife was the one that did the garden and I would help now and then, but you know, it was her garden. But then when I uh, started realizing that, yeah, we've got our food stored for a while, but that's okay. But eventually it runs out. So that, yeah, I think I need to start figuring out how to make more as opposed to just buy more and store more. So got more into gardening. But like I say, I, uh, I view it as more supplemental than it is uh, self-sufficient. I mean, self-sufficient would be nice, but it takes a lot more space and <clears throat> a lot more time. But supplemental, I mean, almost anybody can do supplemental gardening. Gardening. I mean, Brian, you were already mentioning you had uh, berry bushes that, you know, they're going to make berries every year, 
raspberries and blackberries, they'll keep making them as long as you let them. And yes, they are quite invasive. They want to take over your whole yard. Uh, but, you know, anything that you can be growing on your own and either eating or canning is something you didn't have to get from a store. So if store supplies get sketchy, you're not, you know, up a creek without a paddle. You've got something. And for, uh, I mean, it's not, you don't want to boil it down to just being a pure economic equation because you'll never compete with Walmart for cheap food. But cheap food from Walmart is okay as long as Walmart's got the food. But if they don't got the food, well, then it doesn't matter how cheap it used to be. So I got more into the gardening and looked at it as uh, a learning curve. Because unlike Mr. Bloomberg, who thinks it's just a matter of put seeds in the dirt and, and you got food, that yeah, if you've done any amount of gardening, you know that some stuff really fails miserably. And some stuff does surprisingly well. And it's not usually the thing you wanted that did surprisingly well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, uh, you touched on some of that, Brian, about uh, survival garden can't just be uh, mint and dill and oregano. Because those are nice, but you know that's not going to fill a belly. So you do have to think about what you're growing and how does it fit into a diet. <clears throat> so for that, you know, we uh, we did fruit trees several years ago, and now we're starting to see the uh, well. I suppose you could say fruits of our labor uh, that they've been around long enough that they're starting to produce almost produce more than we can deal with in a, a harvest season, which is, you know, such a problem to have too much food uh, that that's starting to come online. But I went ahead and planted uh, three more little apple trees out front so they can look all decorative uh, that are a different variety. So if I end up with a blight or a disease that wipes out my good apple trees, I've got some different apple trees coming online. So some of that's just a matter of do what you can where you can. I mean, one of the things people talk about is uh, growing potatoes in a bucket. And I've heard about that. And people say, oh, yeah, it works really great. And I mean, even my mother-in-law, out of one five-gallon bucket, she gets like five pounds of potatoes. And then I don't know what she does, but it's never been working for me. So every year I try it again. And every year I get three tater tots. And so I'm, I'm not sure what I'm not doing right. But part of the idea is I want to do my learning curve now so that I can figure it out and I can get that five pounds of potatoes when I need it rather than now I'm starving and I got two tater tots. So, you know, I'm trying to do my learning curve now while it's, uh, while failure isn't a big issue. I, I remember early on with Pepper website, there was, uh, you know, people were, were doing the, not the, just the buckets, potatoes in the buckets, but you would have this, like you, you would do the slats, you know, you would have this square, and you'd build it up and you start it off and you keep throwing dirt on it or whatever you would do. And I remember this one video, um, they, they, they were like excited. They were going to open it up and they were going to get all these <laughs> this huge amount of potatoes. And there was nothing. There was like two potatoes out of everything. And they just kept going and going. And it was like, okay, we're going to, you know, I'm sure we're going to hit it somewhere. We're going to hit the mother load somewhere. And then nothing ever came up. You feel bad. But it was also like all that time and money invested and it was nothing, you know. And so completely agree. The whole survival, buy a survival bucket of seeds. 
Um, that's great if you if but you got to learn how to do the uh, do the hearts to you know do the gardening and, and have that uh, have that knowledge that experience from being able to do it. You know, uh, not too long ago, I I uh, shared on uh, the top prepper articles uh, about doing a gardening planner. You know, it was an article on on having a, a gardening planner and keeping you know uh, keeping data and and so you can reference. You know, like hey, I planted this here and this really paid off, or I planted this over there. I started you know my seeds at this time, and just being able to go back because you hope that you would remember those types of things, but then you wind up forgetting and just life starts happening. So a lot, a lot of good stuff there as far as the food concerns. Um, my thing, uh, I have not been gardening uh, for the last couple of seasons just because I've been so busy. But when it comes to food, um, when I started hearing the, the concerns and I usually move sooner rather than later because of what you're hearing out there. But all the talk about we're going to be, you know, we're going to feel it. We're going to feel the crunch. And I think this was more like in the right when we're in the middle of, you know, our um, the, the last couple of years and all the things that, that were going on there, um, making more food buckets and making more, you know, uh, doing more five gallon buckets with the Mylar bags and all that kind of stuff and making sure that we just had extra um, kind of like what you said, Brian, because you know family's going to wind up coming over and you're not going to wind up turning them away. Um, and, and so that you want to have a little bit of extra there. And I know other people, other family members were doing the same thing. The thing is, like when you're in an emergency situation, you think you all like you always feel like you have enough until you don't. And I've I've felt that before in, in other things and not necessarily food or even preparedness, but maybe it was time. Like I had all this time. I, I look back and like, I had all this time to do this and I didn't do it. And now I regret it. I should have been doing it a little bit at a time, maybe like, I don't know, planting a, a tree or doing this or doing that or something in your career. And the same thing with food, right? Is like, if you're in an emergency situation, it's like, Hey, I, I could have stockpiled more food. I could have had uh, created more food buckets. I could have freeze dried more food. I could have done all this other stuff and you should have, would have cut all that kind of stuff. And you just, you wind up regretting. Um, so if you're ever in a real survival situation and you start running low, I mean, you, you can kick yourself because you did not stock up more. But the, the truth of it is, is that there's only so much you can stock up. Um, there's always the space situation, you know, the cost of food, the all that goes into it, the rotation and, and all of that. I think when we start having food concerns in, uh, you know, even the, the production of food or how we're going to go about doing that, one of the things is if you're thinking, if you're one of those people that, that's thinking long, long term, like, hey, uh, I, I, I feel like we could be in a crunch where we are going to be starving, right? Uh, and poop hit the fan situation. The question is, what is your plan? You know, what do you, what is your plan other than going and buying more food and gardening? Do you have something beyond that? And uh, for me, I've always, I've always talked about how I want to engage my community. And, you know, if I, I know that having a garden myself is one thing, but getting other people to garden is another thing um, and in getting them all on board uh, for, for whatever that might be. A lot of times people talk about con connecting with uh 
you know, a farmer, somebody that that's doing that and developing those relationships right now. That's great if they're really close by and you can get to them in walking distance or riding distance, whatever. But if you're having to get into a vehicle and drive 30 minutes, you know, if you were in a true survival situation, that's not something that you want to consider. But how, what is your plan? How would you get through that? Um, I think, uh, you know, Brian, you talked about having chickens and I, I've had backyard chickens before, you know, even here in the suburbs. Um, and they were great. I, I loved having them. And it really did not take a lot of upkeep. And the minute that you start having the weird smell and stuff, you just throw more straw into the, the coop. And it's like you do the deep litter me- method. Um, in my local Facebook uh, group, the, the our local neighborhood, someone there's been more than one people that p- p- persons that have brought it up. It's like, hey, can we have backyard chickens? And of course, you know, the Everyone's like, yeah, we should have backyard chicken. And our lots are a little bit bigger. So we have a little bit more room. It's not like, you know, small, small yards and it would be okay. But you have the people like, no, it's against the rules and the HOA and you have all that. Um, My neighbor, the one that's just directly behind me, I noticed the other day that they have chickens. I think they're chickens. I'm not sure if they might be something else. You know how you can just see through the slats of of the fence I saw like three or four, they're birds, some kind of birds, but they're not making any noise. Uh, and so I was, I was pretty surprised about that because mine would, you know, mine would, would be a little noisy. So I don't know exactly what they are. I did hear them yesterday. I finally did hear one of them and maybe they're just older, but they were just, you know, roaming around the, uh, the backyard and, um, so I don't know. I don't know what he all does. I don't want to be that nosy neighbor that looks over the fence or anything. But uh, you know, I think people are more accepting of it right now. You know, uh, if you can't do chickens, we've had backyard rabbits before, and that was a lot easier. They are not loud. Uh, they really don't smell uh, a lot, and so uh, having having that might be something to um, to consider if you're concerned about food production. I think one of the big deals is that community being able to, you know, hey, you're doing this, I'm doing that. You have fruit trees. I might have some rabbit meat that I can, you know, trade off with you, or I have some vegetables, I have some potatoes, and and going along those lines. So with that, I just kick it back, um, uh, Brian. Do you have anything to add to all of that after after we kind of talked about that? I just wanted to bring it back around to the gardening. So, so you mentioned that you're in a in a um, a suburb, and I'm in a similar to that, just out a little bit more. I guess you could call it rural. Rural, but anyway. So, some people are, are maybe watching this in apartments or or you know smaller homes and that type of thing. And I think you can still do some of these things. Um, one of the podcasters, I don't remember who it was, talking about having quail in their garage. So if you have a garage, maybe you want to do, look into that. I don't know. I know nothing about quail. Um, but for the gardening, um, like Mick was saying, the potatoes in the bucket and stuff, you can do a lot of container gardening around your front porch, your patio, along your, you know, your house line, your stuff like that. Um, and, it, and it doesn't have to be in a container. You can do it right in the ground as long as it's not going to throw it up underneath your 
you know, into your basement or whatever. You don't want, I'm just saying, you don't want to put a maple tree there. And, and the, um, uh, what is that? Cracky gardening. You can do indoor along with, uh, every year I have a couple of those, uh, grow tents in the, in the house for, for my starts, you know, for my garden, I do my own, a lot of my own starter starts and the, uh, you can also do stuff for your salads and your veg. As long as it doesn't get too too out of control, like uh, I wouldn't want to do a tomato plant or something in the house, but you probably could. With simple lighting, uh, cracky doesn't require any electricity other than lighting. If you have a a good south facing window, maybe that maybe that help. Um, I'm just saying you can you can throw up some vertical gardening on your terrace and probably if you're in an apartment and still get something going something's better than nothing right so and like Mick said it's it's, it's all about learning what you can and cannot do before it's too late and I did want to ask you about the rabbits where is, is that uh was those were for meat production right yeah yeah so is, is is that is that difficult to get through that part to where you can dispatch that that animal and turn it into some, you know, some meat. I think it's a lot easier than chickens. I mean, if you're, if you're processing rabbits, it's a whole lot easier than chickens. And you can, um, there are some videos online when I was first learning to do it. I mean, cause I, I, I learned by watching a video, you know, on YouTube and going from there. Um, there are some people that can do it in seconds. It's, it's so fast. Um, but yeah, if you can get past the, you know, the sending it off to, uh, you know, never, never land, you're, you're, you're good. And, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't too difficult at all. And I, and I know this is a little off topic here, but did you, do you keep the fur and stuff? I mean, it just seems like rabbit fur might be worth learning how to do tanning or something and, and having that is maybe even if to barter or something, I, am I out of line with that? Or I, I, I did not do that. Um, I considered it just for the, the experience, but I did not wind up doing it. Hmm. Yeah. That's a whole curious. other hobby to get into. <laughs> again, you have to figure out what you're going to do with it. I mean, the joke around here for a while, I had like <clears throat> 12 gray squirrel pelts from squirrels that I had decriminalized. <laughs> and they were saying, well, what are you going to do with all these pelts? And I thought, well, I don't know, but I keep making them. So I was thinking I'd make them make myself a vest or something out of them so I could have my uh, squirrel fur vest. I still have them. They're still salted and down in the garage, but you, know, you, you would have to figure out what you're going to do with them. And you I need a hat, man. I, I'm thinking you're, you're going to make a hat. Well, I've got raccoon pelts <laughs> for that. Fur Squirrels have pretty short fur. That's why I figured I could make kind of a... A vest. It would have sort of stripes. That's funny. <clears throat> but I haven't made it yet because, like I say, that's a whole other hobby that I just haven't made time for. That, and, and you know what? That's, I think that's important. I mean, we can kind of jump into our, our, our real big next topic because it's, it's the time factor. I mean, I haven't been doing a lot of gardening this last couple of seasons because of time and the time factor that goes into it. And I've even tried, you know, putting the, you know, I had the water on, um, on, uh, on a timer and made it, you know, that, that was really easy to do. I've done that before, but it's just, 
uh, spending the time to do that and you having rabbits and you know, all that takes time. And then you have family and you have other commitments. And so when we talk about the, sometimes we, we, in the preparedness community, we are, we're talking about all these different things that people start thinking, oh my gosh, I got to do all these things to truly be prepared. And it's like, there's no way, there's no way that you could possibly do it all. You know, uh, the people that are doing YouTube videos and, and it seems like they're doing it all. I mean, you, that's their life, right? I mean, they've got a hundred thousand subscribers plus, and uh, th- that's their life. They make money off of that. And so uh, I, I think that would be a good segue and move into the next thing, because as we're talking about preparedness, a lot of time, and I know that this was the case when we, when I started Prepper website and for many, many years, it was always that the eventual goal of anyone uh, who truly want to be better prepared, you truly want to be more self-sufficient, uh, self-reliant, that you would eventually move to a homestead. Uh, you would mo- eventually move out of the city or out of the suburbs into a homestead, and then you would start doing all these things. And you would have, uh, you know, rabbits and goats and chickens and a big garden. And you would, you know, you would make all the food for all the animals and all the livestock. And, and you know, you would be, you know, you'd have a well and you'd have all the stuff. And and uh, you know, it would be a little house on the prairie for you. And I just that pretty early on, I realized like that's just not possible for the majority of people. Um, there, there are some things that have happened in society that have made it a little bit easier now, maybe with people who are working from home and internet service uh, that's better out in the, you know, in rural settings. And so you could maybe do a little bit, but people who try to do all of it, I know that, I mean, there's plenty of articles, plenty of videos out there of people who try to do all of it and just could not do it. They wind up giving up, selling the homestead and moving back to the city. Um, there was a... Uh, someone that I remember it, from, again, Prepper website days. Um, she was called the wannabe homesteader. I believe her name was Stephanie. Her, and she, her, her whole thing was she lived in the suburbs and her goal was to get to a homestead. I don't know if they ever really did that or not, but they were, they were trying homestead type things at home. So, you know, if that was, chickens they, they'd have backyard chickens but they wouldn't have like what a normal homestead would have they'd have like two or three or maybe five uh, you know there was always those types of things that she was winding winding up doing and uh, I think she was really popular she she had a really good blog and she even her blog is gone I, ha- I wasn't able to find it there's other people called wannabe homesteader they, they have other pages out there that I, that I noticed. She, her videos are still up and uh, I actually clicked on it today. I, w- I wanted to go see if I could find it anywhere. If maybe she did get that homestead or not. Uh, her last video was four years ago, but there are people that have that idea. Like eventually that's what I want. And my thing is like, you can do some of the homesteading type things, even if you don't get into a homestead. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, if anybody is doing homesteading, uh, you know, in the, you know, in, in our little group, Mick, I know that you're a lot, uh, a lot better suited to talk a little bit about that, but uh, I wanted to kick it over to you about homesteading and kind of see where, where you're at with all that. Well, I think you touched on an important point that there is a, maybe it's a human failing to assume that if I'm going to do it, I have to do it 110% or not do it at all. And 
you know, like I say, you're more prone to burn out and fail than you are to succeed. But that would apply to anything. I mean, you might decide, well, I want to be a concert pianist in six weeks and really go for it, intensive training. And then you find out you're meh at the end of the six weeks. So uh, there is a danger in thinking maybe fear pushes people into that of thinking that they've got to get it all done. They have to be living self-sufficiently on 40 acres by next year. And, you know, that's just biting off way too much that the, uh, I see the, the homesteading part is more of an attitude. Like how do you approach things and not to sound, uh, like I'm dissing anybody, but if you have the sort of city attitude of, if I need it, I'll go to the store and buy it is not homesteading because there you're not really making anything. You're waiting for someone else to make it and you're just going to buy it, which is okay up to a point. And, you know, I kind of hit that point, I don't know, 15 years ago or so where, you know, I had food stored, I had a water supply, I had alternate heat. And now with some solar, I've got alternate power. But there was always still that idea of, I'm not making any food. You know, the food is going to run out eventually, whatever I've stored. And I recognized I'm not going to be able to be self-sufficient on the land I've got. Unfortunately, a lot of it is woods and the middle of it is swamp. So it's not like ideal Iowa farmland. So I'm not going to be that kind of a homestead, but it's that different attitude of like with the chickens. I thought, well, it's hard to grow protein other than soybeans, I guess, but that's a thing that I thought, what am I going to do for protein? I can grow potatoes. I can grow corn. I can grow other stuff, but it's hard to grow meat. So I decided to get some chickens and, you know, got into it kind of somewhat modestly at first to sort of learn my way around and then realized, well, I'm still going to the store every spring to buy more baby chicks. So I thought, all right, maybe I got to get a rooster. Now I'm in an area where you can have a rooster, so it's not a big deal. And so now the flock is self-perpetuating, which is all fine because then the chickens are on a, a rotational basis with a, uh, with a seniority and then they graduate to uh, the canning jars. That That's a process. So now I'm producing some of my own protein. Now, could I live on that? 100%? Probably not. But it's supplemental. Now, maybe I'm naive in thinking that the food system and the government are never going to completely go away, that the uh, the Mad Max-style scenario is really pretty remote. But things could still get to where the government screws things up enough that food becomes either really expensive or items become scarce or maybe just well, that's sort of the government screwing things up. They may get enlightened green policies where they uh, they end up deciding that meat is evil and so they're never going to sell meat. And even though there's ranchers out there growing cows, stores can't sell it. And so protein becomes a lot harder to come by. And if I don't want to eat the bugs, then what am I going to eat? So I thought, well, the homesteading attitude is more, can I make it myself? Maybe I can't make it all myself, but can I make some of it? for myself. So sort of a, a similar vein would be planting the apple trees that I'm growing my own fruit and I still have to can it. So it's still stored food, but I have to do the labor for it. But on the other hand, the difference is if Walmart doesn't have canned fruit 
anymore. I'm at least growing more and I'm still canning it to store it, but I'm now producing some of it. So I've been looking for other ways to produce. Uh, the Jerusalem artichokes is one that I haven't done yet. I think my son-in-law is into that. You know, if it's a, a stored food or a perennial food, I like the perennial part, which is why I like the walking onions because they're perennial onions. They're kind of small as far as onions go, but they're perennial. I don't have to keep doing that. I just have to thin the bunches every year. So you know, I'm looking for, uh, I'm lazy that way. I'd like perennial food that I can just go out and get. So yeah, homesteading is a little more of an attitude of doing it yourself rather than relying on the store. So you don't have to go whole uh, little house on the prairie, especially not if it sort of uh, goes way crazy with off-grid and you're trying to live off your rain barrels and solar panels and doing your laundry in the river on a rock and that sort of thing. I mean, you don't have to go crazy and still be homesteading. There, I'm done. Good points. Good points. On on the chickens, you said you started kind of uh, slow. How many chickens did you start off with? I started off with six. Okay. And I've gotten up to more, but it starts to become kind of a crowding and a housing issue. I don't want to put up a chicken barn. So I've tended to keep the numbers a little on the smaller side. But, you know, with the rooster every year, I end up with, especially now that I've got a broody hen, I have a, uh, I was going to call it a dehydrator, but it's not. Incubator. There we go. <laughs> I've got an incubator and was using that uh, to hatch them out. <laughs> but now that I've got a broody hen or two, uh, they hatch them. So I don't have to do much of anything. And so every year there's a, excuse me, a half a dozen new chicks. Ideally, there's two or three to become the replacement hens to cycle out those that are going to graduate. And there's always more roosters than I want. So they become a meat source. So I started smaller. I'm not letting it get crazy, but obviously I could ramp up if I had to. Cool. All right. Well, that's good. Brian, what about you? I know you you have a little bit more property probably than I do. So what do you think about this homesteading aspect of it? I probably don't. I'm only on a quarter acre lot and my house is on a good chunk of that. Um, so I'd, I've got a decent size backyard, but it's not that. So I kind of look at it as like, I can't, I don't really, couldn't really do a homestead in the tr traditional sense, but I can do home-esque type homestead-esque so i look at it like just like mick said you don't you don't have to go full board and you know live you know completely self-sustained to take advantage of some of the things so we still do the gardening i can't do the chickens so i have a uh, cricket farm and we eat crickets <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay so not really but you know i, I guess you could but yeah i, I mean we have like we have solar power, but my solar power is a hundred Watts and it's limited to my recharge station. So power goes out. I still have phones recharged in without running a generator or a inverter. And just, just that one little section, one shelf on my rack and I can charge it. Even outside lights I have uh, attached to that. Um, we do the canning, um, dehydrating, that type of thing. Um, 
a lot of the homestead type of things where you can cook outdoors, but we don't, you know, cook outdoor all the time, but we can. And uh, with wood and, and propane and kerosene, so different, different uh, alternatives for, for cooking. But of course we have a kitchen as well. So we're not going to like, you know, avoid that. So just those little bitty things as far as food storage, using Mylar bags, all, all the things that we see all over our prepper channels can be considered, I, I believe, as homestead-esque type things without having to go out and buy in, you know, 130 acres in Utah somewhere, you know, so. Can you talk about, I wanted to uh, go back to your freeze drying a little bit. And share a little bit about how you got into that. Um, I know freeze dryers are more expensive than a dehydrator. And so if you can talk a little bit about why you decided to go that route versus a uh, dehydrator and, and um, you know, all, all the, your experiences, if you could touch on that really quick. Sure. I, I'm, not, um, I'm not an expert. I'm still learning at it. Um, I didn't buy, I didn't buy the, um, freeze dryer new. I, I partnered with another prepper that had one, didn't have time. So we split the costs, split the food, that type of thing. And I do the work. So it just, it just worked out well for me as far as the, um, time. And this is a large one. So it's a, it's a, it's probably a more expensive freeze dryer. I don't know exactly how much they are, but the, um, it's got the extra shelf, like five, five shelves in it. So I can get, uh, quite a bit of, um, uh, probably about as much food stored than I can, you know, a day's, um, canning session or not, not a day, but you know, like one canning session, like a seven quart, uh, in a, in a, in a pressure cooker or something, but it does take a long a longer it takes like three days typically for me because you the timing is i'm not good at the timing yet so it's ready to come out right when i'm ready to go to work so i let it run the rest another 10 or 12 hours just trying to wait until i have time to get to it but that's also the good part of it you don't have to sit there and every 90 minutes or 10 minutes and turn this and do all it's a little bit easier than I believe until it comes time to, to putting it away and storing it and we can store it vacuum packed, uh, mylar bags or, or quart size jars or and that type of thing. As far as whether it's worth it monetarily, I would, I would, if I had to pay four to $6,000, one of the, for one of these, I probably wouldn't do it to be honest. Cause it would take years Maybe, maybe beyond the life of the thing, I don't even know how long they last, but it would probably be very difficult to get your money back out of that. With that said, what I'm, the, what I'm getting out of it, like we were talking about protein, I have pork and chicken and beef and I have beef stroganoff and spaghetti and meatballs, all, all these completely prepared dishes that are freeze-dried now that and you know when when we're ready to use it all i need to do is rehydrate this and we have a whole meal including the meat that's something that you can't do uh with a dehydrator and that you can do it with canning but 
not with noodles and that type of thing, but you can do it separately. We have, I have can the same, the same meat canned. So I, th- I think it's a, it's a great alternative, but I don't know, but I think it was that you make that said it can't always be, um, an economic decision. Sometimes it, we, we get to a point to where we want to go to the next step and it's not necessarily going to be Dave Ramsey approved, right? It, it's, it's what we want to get and and it's worth it to us to do that. With that said, if you're going to compare it apples to apples and compare it to the Oxen Farms or the uh, Legacy or anything like that of their freeze-dried number 10 cans, absolutely get the, the, the freeze-dryer because that's not going to take long at all without because that stuff's very expensive. We're talking about that as well. But to have, to have that long-term storage... I think I think it's a it's a nice it's a nice resource. So Brian, we're uh, at my church. We're doing uh, the freeze drying as well, <clears throat> and we had found that some things were a real waste of time to bother freeze drying because they took a whole long time. I'm thinking of things like uh, very juicy fruits like strawberries and. Uh, and other and peaches, I think they did. Apples weren't quite as bad, but like you say, you're waiting three, four days before the batch is done, and you could dehydrate them in a day. And the end result is not remarkably different. So for really watery things like fruits, freeze drying you know, kind of doesn't pan out that well. Now meats are another another matter that uh, you can. what I'd been doing is taking a bunch of chicken and cooking it up and then dicing it up into, uh, you know, little like roll the dice sized cubes. And that could be done in a couple of days because it's not as moisture intense. So, you know, freeze dried protein, that's kind of more worth doing because with the Augustan farms and other such things, freeze dried meats are really pricey. So that's a way to bring it down. Now, at the church where we're doing it, we have the added benefit of a lady that comes to the church is also a manager at a grocery store, and she's arranged to take home the stuff they're going to throw away. And it's shocking how much they throw away. I mean, you really just don't think about it because it's always new and fresh on the shelves. But once it hits the day before expiration date, it's out in the dumpster. And she brought in one time like over 50 pounds of frozen chicken. And now they were all in those little clever blister packs. They weren't from the the butcher shop section, but they were going to throw all that away. So we were able to save it, keep it frozen, but then cook it up and freeze dry it. So it's given us a a reclaimed resource that would have been thrown away otherwise. But I kind of have to wonder, this is not exactly homesteading, because I don't think the Ingalls family had a, a Whole Foods next door that was throwing away food. But I have to imagine this one grocery store is not the shocking exception, that a lot of grocery stores are probably chucking a lot of stuff. And it's a matter of, you know, it's out of your comfort zone to go and ask managers about that uh dispatching rotation that they do 
now a lot of the stuff, well, even then, a lot of the produce and things, you look at it and go, yeah, I can see why you threw it away. You know, out of the quart of strawberries, I can see a moldy one. But we were even taking those and saying, all right, there's the moldy one. I'll throw that away, but I'm going to dice up and dehydrate the rest. So I've got pints and pints of pints of uh, dehydrated strawberries that was otherwise thrown away. But I have to wonder how many other people would have that free source of food to be canning from. And you and you mentioned the uh, you know the Laura Ingold type of thing or the little house. In a, we're we're modern day, so I think the 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 ideology of storing the food is 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 important. So to, if we some some people want to stay old school and pure and all that stuff and avoid anything that uses electricity and I, I you know more power to them but i'm going to use every resource that i have at my <laughs> disposal right now because i don't want to get six months into a an event or something and say wow i really wish i would have used the electric can opener because now i'm cranking this and it's hurting my hand i mean you want the you want that you don't want to depend on a freeze dryer or a dehydrator or anything like that but in the process of preparing for something, you know, if it's if it's available, take it. And I think it's an awesome idea to. Not everybody can um, do the community thing like the church, and and I'm sure that has a lot to do with why the 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 stores are willing to give away stuff that they would generally throw away. But you know, that's just kind of like what I'm doing with the freeze dryer and stuff. It's just you're you're working with somebody else to try to 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 recover some of that and and as far as the uh freeze I, I did want to mention the freeze dryer turned out to be amazing in my world where every winter or every late fall i'm always like i've got all these herbs and stuff that i'm trying to figure out you know what can i dry by hanging up what do i need to dehydrate and all that um i've got freeze dried herbs of all sorts now based and rosemary and all this stuff that's going to last me all through the till the next season because of the freeze dryer and that really simplified things and i can i've even got lettuce and stuff that's free dried <laughs> so i don't think that's going to work out very well because it didn't want to <laughs> it, it didn't want to uh, rehydrate very well but then we've got uh, sorry the phone's ringing we've got um the like the chicken patties Hold on, I got a call. <laughs> Sorry, maybe you want to edit that. But the we got a, a what do you call it? chicken breasts, and I cut those in half to make them freeze dry faster. And I made some chicken parmesan with the you know I cut those chicken breasts in half too. But I also they also have cheese on top, and then I've got the uh, sauce. And this, the noodles, I did the noodles separate. Those took like five, like five days to run through the, because they, they were so thick by the time I made. So that's something to consider too. Um, I had a bunch of apples because we went to the, the apple orchard and picked apples and stuff. So I did all types of things with the apples. But as far as cost effective, that, that probably was not, uh, the perfect use for a freeze dryer because it take does take a lot of electricity and um, this one here in particular has to have its own 
independent 20 amp circuit and stuff because it's it's the larger one and so it's using quite a bit of electricity and then to run that thing because it apples are high in moisture you know to run that thing for three days and now you got a bag of freeze-dried apple chips it's really was that really worth the, your, your time and money so but yeah i, I agree with the the meat was is is probably the best bang for your buck when it comes to something like that because you can't freeze dry i mean you can't dehydrate meat you can can't but you can't dehydrate it so i think and, and like mick said those those number 10 cans of like what are they called the the crumbles you know the beef crumbles or the chicken chicken little uh, chicken cubes or whatever they are we're, we're looking at maybe a hundred dollars for for a number 10 can of that so that's cost effective there yeah you know, we had kind of uh, decided that when it came to preserving chicken in particular i mean the the free chicken is one thing but even then we can pressure can seven you know seven quarts of it overnight and we're done and it's overnight and you know we can run that much through the uh, the freeze dryer and we have and we have some and i still end up with quarts of basically cooked chicken meat it's just one of them is wet in the quart jar and the other one is dry in the quart jar so you know, at some point i don't know that it's that cost effective i do like the fact that it's dry but it's still in a quart jar so i'm not sure how much that matters I like the quart jars just because they're mouse-proof, as opposed to the Mylar bags. I have to put those in something else to be mouse-proof. But it's, uh, you know, canning or freeze-drying the meat, that's kind of a bigger deal for food storage because it's a lot harder to come up with that. If the government's going to be giving you your bag of rice a week, well, you got your starches, but proteins are harder to come by. There's one more thing I wanted to bring up on a Mylar bags because um, I've been using Mylar bags and oxygen O2 absorbers for years, and I never realized how often, until I started doing them every week, how often one will suck up and show, you know, it looks completely perfectly molded, and the next one looks like it's got air in it. And I... And I kept thinking, wow, well, I'm getting, I, so I, I went and bought larger or thicker mill um, uh, bags, more, more expensive Mylar bags, and then larger O2 absorbers thinking that was going to fix it. And that would, half of them would be shrunk down, half of them wouldn't. What well, was some research and some, and, and a lot of uh, trial and error, I, a lot of those because nitrogen and it, O2 is taking the oxygen. So they're still leaving the nitrogen in the bag. So depending, uh, I don't know, maybe on what the percentage is at the time in the bag, I don't know what the difference is. Sometimes uh, uh, a Mylar bag won't shrink down to where it looks all nice and perfect and, 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 and complete all the air removed out of it. Cause it's not removing the air, just the oxygen, right? Just leaving the nitrogen. So, that's a little bit um, tougher, you know, to because it's like, does it is all the oxygen gone, or is there a little pinhole in there that I'm not aware of? So it's a little, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect solution. Be you, you, before you um, 
uh, if you're talking about five gallon buckets before you put the top on and, and you like, you know, you put it in your closet or wherever you're going to put it, do you let it sit overnight? Usually, Well, this isn't, this isn't a five gallon buckets. This is just, uh, we're filling up these gallon mylar bags with that O2 sealing it and then putting them in the large, what is it like 27 gallon totes or something. Okay. And storing them in now and those or at least till we transport them where they go. Okay. But Todd's point was, do you wait a little while to see if they puff out or do they end up being puffy kind of right away? Oh, no. I mean, it takes, you know, you look at it the next day, you know, you do it at night and the next morning, look at it and half of them will be shrunk way down and half of them look like they'd still got a little bit of air in them. Mm. Yeah. Do you do like Frank said and uh, write the weight on there and then reweigh it to see if it's actually taken on moisture? Yeah, I always write the um, the gross weight. So after everything's in there, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. This, and everything's in grams, right? So I'm, I'm weighing everything in grams. So if it weighs 335 grams uh, when it's all sealed and done and the O2 absorbers, you know, the, the gross weight of the package and weigh it, <clears throat> then you put it away. And two months later, if it's 345 grams, you know, you just added 10 grams of moisture more than likely in that bag. So that's a way to make sure you look at the weight, weigh it. And if it's the same weight, you're, you're probably safe. It didn't, it, it probably didn't uh, add, you know, with a pinhole or something and, and, and moisture inside that container. Although it seems like a lot of that stuff, you would probably see the moisture anyway, but you know, to be on the safe side. Sounds good. Good stuff, guys. Um, I wanted to talk to, to Meg. I wanted to make the talk a little bit about the processing of the pig and how all that went. I think, though, let's save that because we, we have another one scheduled, right? We'll get together and we're going to do another one. Let's save that one. And I think we can... Um, we can really uh, do a longer conversation about that. I think that that piece will be important. But before we end this one, any other things that uh, just come up that's just, you know, you want to be able to to tackle here on this one? Mick? Was there any, getting, well, no. I'll, oh, I'll kick it to Brian. Brian's ready to go. Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> like I said, uh, Brian never says the least. <laughs> without, without getting into this long political discussion and stuff we one of us had brought up the idea that and i don't remember was that you make to where by now we're supposed to have be in a collapsed economy there's one blog blogger that kills the economy every week or month or whatever and by now we you know we should be like in our foxholes and stuff and but even just yesterday i was listening to a podcast with more economic experts talking about 2023 we're definitely gonna we're probably already in a recession it's gonna get worse and but we are seeing a lot of layoffs and all that stuff especially with the tech and stuff i don't think it's time to panic i mean like you probably wouldn't want if you're investing in your 401k or something or you know you probably don't want to invest in tech right now you know like I don't want to name any names, but you know, a lot of them's laying off and that type of thing. That doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be no food on the shelves, but we just witnessed over the last two and a half, three years that the food can and, and 
more likely will get harder to find. I don't think we're going to necessarily be, you know, in a bread line anytime soon or probably not even in our lifetime. So I don't want everybody to just think. I think the, the worst thing uh, anybody that's just now watching and considering prepping can do right now is think it's too late. You know, it's, it's not too late. Just buy a couple extra cans of food every now and then when you go to the store and start, start building it up and you'd be amazed at how quickly this stuff adds up and you do keep adding to it. I don't want everybody to think, well, I should have did this five years ago and now it's just too late for me. It's, it's not, I, I don't think, I don't, I, 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 just a lot of doom and, and despair and stuff and our blogs and stuff because that in the videos, because that set up, we're, we're going to be fine, but you're going to be way better off if you just, you know, prepare a little bit. Good point. Mick, any last yeah, parting thoughts? Following up on uh, <clears throat> what Brian said that I guess I'd add the uh, avoiding for people to avoid that notion that they have to go completely Laura Ingalls or there's no point doing anything. So it's either I'm going total off-grid homestead, washing river rocks, or I continue in my own life. I don't think it's an either or that instead I would encourage the, uh, the backyard gardening, the container gardening, the whatever, you know, do the learning curve now. So when you want those, when you need those potatoes, you know how to do the potatoes. But <clears throat> seeing it more as adding adding resilience rather than complete self-sufficiency. If you can grow, what was that that Nicole had mentioned on that Zoom meetup so that she was growing 20% of their family's food? You know, well, that's doing actually quite a bit. But if you can grow anything and can anything, then you've added some resilience that you're not completely dependent on the system like you're on life support, but instead you've added a little resilience. And from that, you can add a little bit more resilience. So it's like Brian said, it's never too late to start and you don't have to go whole hog. You can just work in increments. Good points. Good points. Um, not a lot more that I would add to all of that. You know, I, I think I, I do not like when people say it's too late to, to prep. I, I don't ever think that's the case. Um, people who would have thought that two or three years ago, um, I mean, and they didn't prep, it, it'd be crazy to think of, you know, all that time that was spent that you, again, you wind up regretting. The fact is, is that a lot of people already do prep. When you think about like here in, in where I live, hurricane, you know, people know what to do for a hurricane. Uh, up north, people know what to do for a winter storm or a blizzard. Um, so you just add a little bit more to that, and um, you're you're starting to really get better prepared. You know, so um, there's always more that we can talk about that, and we can go into you know long discussions about that. But that's basically it, it's not difficult, and uh, it makes a whole lot of sense, especially in the times that we're living in. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and end it there. Thanks so much for taking time to uh, hang out with me and uh, talk a little bit about disaster food and, and, and homestead, uh, homesteading. Uh, it's always great to talk with you guys. All right. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 766. A big thank you to 
Brian Hawkins and Mick Rowland, good friends. Hey, I, I hope to do this a little bit more often. Uh, it seemed like we were doing uh, these a little bit more often in the past, and then just life has gotten crazy. But it's always good to hang out with Mick and Brian. And, uh, you know, we collectively, we have a lot of years in preparedness. And so, um, you know, at some point, we're going to get it right and uh, share some good information. I hope you enjoyed it. But if you found this episode valuable, I would appreciate a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And then if you haven't subscribed, maybe this is your first episode ever, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Readiness Goodness. And if you would like to support Ready Your Future, you can visit readyyourfuture forward slash support or check all the valuable links in the show notes, including links to Mick and Brian's websites and podcasts and all the things that we talked about. Lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 handpicked preparedness articles that you should read. Some of these articles you can't find on the internet any longer. And then I'm also going to send you the Saturday prep, which for a little while I've been taking a break, but I'm going to be sending it out again. And so uh, those that are on the list have received two Saturday worth already. And that's just uh, a newsletter that comes every Saturday morning with links and all different kinds of things that would be valuable to you. Well, guys, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.